morning, Grace Chapel. It is good to see you. Is it good to see me? <laughs> I just wondered if that's reciprocal. I always wondered that. I thought I'd just ask. Um, and as Jason mentioned, uh, you know, continue to be praying for Rick and Marilyn Perhai, missionaries that we have to Ukraine and all that is going on in our world. It's, uh, it's pretty dark, isn't it? It is dark out there. But be praying for those in our own body and those that you know that you've shared with us who are going through difficult times now. We uphold each other in prayer. It's something we do. And uh, we reach out in whatever ways we can, but also be praying for those who are traveling, um, who aren't necessarily going through difficult times. Well, they might be, but uh, they're trying to escape winter, which uh, I understand is coming back tomorrow. So uh, I've, heard, I've heard that as we age... I've heard this, okay, because I've heard that as we age that your body can begin to let you down. Is, is, that, is, that, like, is that true? Is, is that something that, that happens um, and that um, we, can, we can accumulate physical impairments um, as, as our body uh, ages and that's a part of life. It, it, it's a part of life and it's, it's a part of who we are as uh, mortal creatures, uh, but there are physical impairments that you can be born with. And maybe some of you were or know of someone or has a, have a child who was born with a physical impairment, but it can hit you at any age, right? No one is immune to physical impairments. And I've, as I talk with those who have such impairments, they often say that the need for perspective is really, really great to have that perspective. Um, and those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, of course, have a very different perspective than those who don't. But they also say there's, there's a need for assistance, there's need for constant encouragement, because uh, any day you wake up can potentially get you down. But there is an impairment that Jesus has been communicating to us as we've been going through the Apostle John's gospel of the life of Jesus Christ together that is the most destructive of all impairments imaginable. And it's not blindness, and it's not lame, it's not leprosy, it is, anybody? Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. It's even greater than any physical impairment that any of us could dream up. And with this spiritual impairment, you are blind and you can't see Jesus. I, I can't, I, well, I guess I can because I can think of my life what it was like before Christ. Yeah, I can remember that. I try not to remember it. I, I push it into the back of my mind, but you're blind and you can't see Jesus for who he really is. It's terrible. So in the Gospel of John, where we find Jesus coming along chapter after chapter and telling everyone whether they're rich or poor, whether they're physically handicapped or whether they're spiritually healthy, churchgoer, church hater, it doesn't matter who you are, that wise or foolish, all of us are more wicked than we can possibly imagine. <laughs> and you're like, that's the good news? <laughs> but he also tells us, yet we're more loved than we could ever dream of. That's the gospel message. And many people, especially the Jewish leaders, as we've been watching this unfold, reading it together, they just don't get it. Why? Because they are 
Spiritually blind, exactly. It goes right over their heads. Maybe you could remember a time in your life, if you know Christ as your Savior, when it kind of went over your head, or, or you knew it, but it just wasn't, just wasn't real. You remember the, any kind of time like that? Well, they're blind to it. There's no room in their thinking for such a verdict. This, these are the religious leaders of, of the Jews. That regardless of your age, your social status, and how hard you're working to obey the law, that you could still be a sinner. I just, I can't, I can't, I'm not wicked. Destined for destruction, Jesus said. I think that every one of us likes the love part. Right? Please, Pete, tell me more about love. I just want to hear more about love. But we don't like the being wicked part. At least, we don't like the being wicked part with the finger pointing at us. I can definitely look around and tell, point, you guys want to know? No, you don't don't want to know, because it's all of us. And along with this, isn't there in all of us this gut instinct that we all inherently have that you get what you deserve in this life? Don't don't you, you feel that way? that you get what you deserve in this life? Isn't that kind of a common thought, theme? Um, People are hoping for that right now for Vladimir Putin, right? That he gets what he deserves. I I know. I've I've heard people pray it. Good should happen to the good, and bad should happen to the bad. It's, It's even in the Bible, right? Where is it? You got to do with harvesting. You reap what you sow. It's there. It's in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. You reap what you sow. So it's a, it's a common way that you and I have of looking at our world, looking at ourselves, and looking at others. And that is what is being questioned by the disciples as we get to John chapter 9. Because they come across a man who has been blind physically since birth. He's born that way. So verse 1. As, as he passed by, so Jesus with the disciples, he's leaving the temple, and that's from chapter 8 where we left last week. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the reasoning is obvious. It's the same reasoning we've just been discussing together, that there is something bad that must have happened in this man's life because he's blind. I've got to explain why bad things happen to people. And it must be because either he or his parents have done bad in the past. Because what goes around comes around especially for the other guy, not always for me, but for the other guy. Do you ever think like that when you encounter someone in your life? Maybe somebody in your family who will go unnamed, but, or someone you work with or go to school with, or it's, it's a neighbor, like, like, I mean, a real neighbor, they actually live next to you, and you encounter them and you're like, ah, I'd like to help you, but I think you put yourself in that position. You've got to get yourself out of it. You know, you It's just me, right? I'm the only one who ever has that thought go through my mind. Yeah, okay, it is just me. In the ancient world, people often believed that sickness and tragedy were the result of a specific sin that was committed. And I don't think it's changed that much in our modern world. And of course, can that be the case? 
Absolutely, yes, that could be the case. There are plenty of diseases and tragedies that you and I can avoid by making the right choices and lifestyle choices. But that's not always the case because there is a curse on every one of us and on this entire planet. And it began with God's judgment on Adam and Eve at the fall. Do you remember that? We talk about it a lot. All creation, we read in the New Testament, groans, weeps, is waiting for that curse to be lifted and the universe healed. Everyone suffers. Some suffer more than others. Can you imagine being born blind? I mean, I, I remember, no, I can't. I just can't. I mean, I remember being in a youth group, and we'd blindfold, I mean, the, you know, the leader would want us to get an idea, so he'd blindfold us, and we'd stumble around the room for like a minute, right? But then what? Took the blindfold off, went out the door. Oh, yeah, I know what it's like to be blind. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Note to self. As we watch the disciples here and we watch Jesus answer, note to self, once we move as individuals and maybe even as a church body from generalizing statements about the origin of the human race's illnesses, diseases and destruction and even wars because of the consequences of sin, and we move to tight connections between the sins and the sufferings of an individual and why they're in the place they are right now, we can be treading on very dangerous ground. And we can go beyond the biblical evidence in the Old Testament and the New Testament quite often. Now, let me say that a specific illness or experience of suffering can be the direct result of a specific sin. Case in point, Numbers chapter 12, and you have uh, one, of Mir one of Moses' relatives, Miriam, and she tries to take the authority away from Moses, and God meets her at the tent of meeting, and he pronounces a, a curse on her immediately for that sin of trying to usurp his authority through Moses, and she becomes a leper before everybody's eyes. So when she's walking around, people are going to go, somebody might ask, a little kid might say, why is Miriam a leper? And what? Point back to the specific sin. That's why. Um, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 11.30, which actually kind of connects to what you and I are going to be doing at the end of service today, of what can happen when you take communion improperly. It's in verse 30 of chapter 11. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. Whoa. The disciples, and possibly you and I at times, can often not progress beyond being um, Job's miserable companions. Do you remember the companions of Job when he had all that tragedy hit him and these different men came by to offer advice and encouragement to help him through this impairment he was uh, going through? Where they insisted as they looked at him and said, you must have done something wrong because God would never allow these kinds of physical calamities to happen to a righteous person. Therefore, you must be an unrighteous person, and that's why all this bad stuff is happening to you. And we all know how that ended, right? God shows up, and he says to Job, don't listen to those guys. Don't. Don't listen. Listen to me, and I'll tell you all you need to know. You and I need to really care about what God says. 
And Jesus is going to tell us right now in verse 3, and he's God. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, you guys, or even his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed on him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. And remember back to chapter 8, he announced that, that he is the light of the world, and he's repeating it here. <clears throat> so as Jesus leaves the temple, the hub of religious activity and life for the nation of Israel, full of dignified and proud religious people, just like churches in America on Sunday, right? People who regularly attend, but who are at this moment, these are the people who are at this moment blind spiritually, and they're rejecting him as the answer. And the contrast can't be more extreme. The man deserves nothing. He really doesn't. He's like all of us, deserving of nothing. But Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Wow! This is the sixth sign of the seven signs in John's gospel that he, John, has purposefully singled out to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus has just declared that He is what? The light of the world. And now He proceeds to illustrate that point with an exclamation mark by giving light to someone who's been walking in darkness his whole life. It's, it's powerful, isn't it? To a man born in darkness, while many around him are actively, even strategically, shutting out that very light. The man deserves nothing, but what he experiences is grace. Have you? For no other reason than God the Father's own sovereign choice, and he directs Jesus, his son, to heal this man. It even seems, like, as you read the story, that the man didn't ask to be healed. He didn't go, please, please, Jesus, Rabbi, heal me. He wouldn't even get that. It's just, boom, he does it. And this is what offended the righteous religious people. And this is what still offends our world today. This is the core truth concerning salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can merit. It is totally given freely by God. And the blind man was offered physical sight. The blind crowds in the temple had been offered spiritual sight. He obeys and is healed, and he sees for the first time in his life, what was that like? I wish I had been there. We read that the, the people in the city, as he, as he went around, recognized him. They said, isn't that the guy who has been blind all these years? Like, he was well-known. Some thought he had to be a look-alike. Oh, he just looks like the guy because... That guy's blind, and this guy can see, so it can't be the same person. And then he told them what had happened, and what happened was a man named Jesus. That's what he tells them, because that's all he knows at this point. Isn't that your testimony, follower of Jesus Christ? What happened? What happened? What changed? Why are you the way you are right now? 
It's Jesus. That's it. What, what did you do? What self-improvement program did you go through? Nothing. No, it's Jesus. I mean, that's the answer. Come on, it can't be so simple. That's, that's kind of that's dumb. No, it wasn't dumb. <laughs> it was spectacular. Well, this doesn't sit well with the leaders, as you can imagine, if you've been tracking with the story in John so far. And you know why? Well, you remember, remember back um, a couple episodes ago when Jesus healed the man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years? What day did he do it on? The Sabbath. That's right. And what was the problem then? Healing on the Sabbath is a no-no by their way of reckoning things. So the Pharisees, the religious police, please do not be the religious police, please. They get involved and they grill this poor guy. They haul him in, they, they shine the light on him, and they ask him all kinds of questions, and they try to get something out of him that they can use against Jesus. They really don't care about him. This guy has just been given his sight back, and all they can think about is, how can we get Jesus? It's, but that's what happens. That's what sin does. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, speaking about Jesus, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He can't be from God. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Things aren't adding up here. And there was a division among them, because Jesus does that. And in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. <laughs> They're like, oh, he, this, this guy could have been blind and had received his sight. So they called his parents in. <laughs> was he really born blind? They, they're, they're, they, this, this, it's just not sinking in, right? Jesus is pounding a mallet on their head and it's just not happening. Until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight and they use, if you read the text, they use scare tactics on his parents and the threat of excommunication. So what happened? Verse 24. So for the second time they call him back, the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, you know, stop giving glory to Jesus. Give glory to God. They are so messed up, aren't they? We know that this man is a sinner, Jesus. And he answered, you know, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You can't argue with what's happened to me. Beautifully stated, wouldn't you say? Is that not something that you and I, as followers of Christ, can say? You know, once I was blind and I thought like that individual over there, but now I can see. So they're frustrated. So they ask him to retell the story. Probably, I don't know how many times he's, he's told them, right, what, what's happening. They want to pick holes. And here, I love his answer. This is where, um, where we're going to read in verse 27. If you want to jump ahead, verse 27. Why do you want to hear it again? And I love this. <laughs> do you also want to become his disciples? He's, so, it's, he's either got the most amazing sense of humor in the entire Bible, or he is so innocent, and he doesn't realize how wicked these men are that he's talking to. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Now watch this, verse 30. The man answered, Why is this an amazing thing? <laughs> this is such an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, 
and yet he opened my eyes. You see, he's connecting the dots. They're not, or they are, and they hate it. You do not know where he comes from, but yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. We know this. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What clarity. And you know, when God opened my eyes, when God opened your eyes, we all gained that same kind of simple, profound, clear truth. We can see. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. That's why you were blind. And you're going to teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus is a very serious threat to the religious authorities. Jesus is a very religious threat to the order of things in our world today. Nothing has changed. If, if people, let alone his body, the church, lived according to his teachings, if we all decided to do that today, <laughs> everything would have to change. Wouldn't it? Have you ever laid in bed at night and you thought, you know, if I really got more serious about what Jesus actually says in the Bible, I would have to change some things. Everything would change. So there's no way that these elite leaders who have this kind of control and authority and a pretty cushy life are willing to accept that Jesus can heal a blind man because if they acknowledge that Jesus just healed this blind man, they have to accept what he has to say, that he's from God. And they can't do that. For them, it's too big a risk. There's too much at stake. But it's just that the evidence before their eyes is so overwhelming. All the witnesses in Jerusalem are saying, that's the guy. His parents are saying, that's the guy. And there he is, seeing. So they have to find a way to discredit what they're visually seeing with their physical eyes. They try to discredit the man on theological grounds. Did you pick that up? Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath, and that is against their rule book. Others wonder whether there's been a switch, right? Like whether this man who can now see is actually the man who once was blind. They use scare tactics. They use scare tactics on the witness and on his family. Then they finally discredit the witness on the grounds of their education. We are the elite. We've gone to the good schools. You guys, you really don't know. You really don't know. You know you just, you're down there. We're up here. Listen to us. It's, it sounds like today. Um, you're getting a lot of that. Remember last week in chapter 8 when they told Jesus that there weren't any witnesses who were corroborating what Jesus had to say? Do you remember what Jesus' answer was? Well, there's actually two. There's me and there's God the Father. Two divine witnesses. Forget about your human witnesses. And I just love this next verse in verse 35. Jesus heard 
that they had cast him out. Word got to Jesus. He'd been evicted from the synagogue and by implication from mainstream Jewish cultural life. He was an outcast. And having found him, Jesus said, <laughs> like he has found so many of us in this room today in our own spiritual blindness, in our own spiritual hopelessness, do you believe in the Son of Man? Can you imagine the comfort this would give to the first readers of John's gospel because he wrote it around 85 A.D. And during that time, Christians, especially Jewish Christians, were, Christians were enduring tremendous persecution and suffering. They're being locked up. They're being executed. They're being ostracized from the communities, hunted down. And for them to be reminded here that Jesus understands Jesus sympathizes with their situation. That would have been a tremendous comfort. Is it to you today? Are you in need of some hope? And he answered the man in verse 36, And who is he, sir, this son of man, that I may believe in him? Now remember, this man hasn't seen Jesus before. The last time he met Jesus, Jesus had put some mud on his eyes and told him to go wash off in a pool. So it's perfectly natural that Jesus introduced himself to him, but notice the way he did it. Jesus asked him if he believed in the Son of Man. That is an expression jammed full of meaning for the Jews. It's used throughout the whole Old Testament, and they understood it to mean Son of Man is the promised one, the anointed one, the ancient of days who would reveal God to the people. So in effect, Jesus is inviting this man to, to make the connection, to connect the dots, to create the picture that he can see who Jesus really is. And Jesus has already enabled them to have physical sight, right? And now he can have spiritual sight as well. So in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him. <laughs> what he's saying is, you're looking at him. That's what Jesus is saying. It is he who is speaking to you. And what is his response immediately? Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Physically and spiritually healed in one day. Wow. And then kicked out of the current religious system all at the same time. <laughs> it comes with the territory. And Jesus not only fulfilled God's words, but he authenticated his own authority authority through what he did and through what he said. And the once blind man saw it. He got it. And he recognized what was obvious, that Jesus is the promised king and there's no more blindness. And Jesus said in verse 39, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who, may see, who, who see may become blind. Wow, that's dangerous, isn't it? Some of the Pharisees, who probably had been grilling this guy and probably followed him, um, heard these things, and he, they said to Jesus, Oh, so are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, Well, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Sadly, some of the Pharisees who were listening in on this assessment understood very little of it. 
utterly self-centered, captivated with their own prestige and what they're doing with their own life. They wanted only to find out whether Jesus' comments applied to them, this, this blind thing. And with profound irony, Jesus replies, if you were blind, in the sense that if you uh, are blind as a lost condition that cries out for illumination and you're waiting for the Messiah to come and, you're, and you would not be guilty of your sin, and I save you, but you claim you can see. That's the problem. That you're satisfied with the light that you have, with the way your life is going. It's the light of the law for them, interpreted by their received traditions. If that's true, and I'm saying it is, then you're rejecting the true light when it shines on you. So you say you can see, but you really can't. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so your guilt remains, Jesus says. They rejected Jesus, and these final three verses bring the message home. And Jesus said he didn't come for judgment. He's not contradicting his words back when he talked to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not set his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's not contradicting this. Jesus came to rescue the lost. Jesus came to redeem the captives who are held by their own sin. But in revealing God's gracious plan of salvation, it's inevitable that Jesus would also expose the false laws, the false religions, the false ideologies, all the false gods that our world follows after, everything that is opposed to God's grace. It exposes it. It's light. And we live in darkness. We're exposed. And Jesus' point is not that the purpose of his coming was to condemn, nor even, even simply to divide the human race. He came to save, not to condemn. He's going to say it again in chapter 12. Let me just give you a heads up on that. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Always has. This is, some, this is not new. We were born with a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. By saving some, it entails condemning others. It has to. And that's the paradox of the revelation of Jesus Christ to you and to me. That in order to bring grace, his coming and his death on the cross must also give offense. So grace also turns to judgment. In order to be grace, it has to uncover sin. Anyone who resists this binds themselves to their sin, like the Pharisees, like people you know in your life today who you've shared the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's just like they shut you out. And it comes with consequences, not just in this life, but more importantly in the next life. You know, on the first Sunday of every month, we remember this grace, right? It's called the Lord's table. We take the, the bread, we take the cup, and we remember the grace. We remember the blood that was spilled for us because we are all spiritually blind from birth. Every last one of us. There's nobody exempt from that. 
And God took the initiative, just like Jesus took the initiative with this blind man, in what? He found you. Those of you who know Jesus Christ is here. He found you. Isn't that wild? That the creator of the universe, our high, awesome God, found us. And some of us at the time were floundering. Was that you? Uh, Maybe drowning and going down for the last time. Number three, grab my hand, somebody. Without any hope. Others were scheming to get somewhere that they thought would give them life and meaning and purpose. Some were, of you were openly antagonistic to God when he found you. But regardless of the depth of our outward expression of our inward sin, and we were all different, God found us. And he opened our eyes, our blind eyes, to see his son, Jesus Christ, for who he really is. God incarnate. And God found and then opened our blind eyes to see Jesus for what he had done. That he had gone to the cross, died, that his own blood flowed instead of ours, on behalf of ours, in our place. I love the progress of illumination that John brings out in this blind man's salvation. Don't you? Physically blind, spiritually healed. At that low place, Jesus meets him after he gets kicked out of the temple. And he receives. It's a story that parallels each one of our stories, those of us who know Jesus. How God found many of us and offered us each salvation, and we have received, we have, we have believed, we are trusting in that salvation alone, that debt payment for our sins. We are found, signed, sealed, delivered. Yes, I am. Because of God and what he has done. So we take the symbol of Jesus Christ's body, the bread, broken for you and for me. His body pierced. We'll be remembering his death specifically on the cross in about a month in Easter. But today, in unity, we take this together, remembering the price paid for us. And at the Last Supper, when Jesus instituted this meal, this time of remembrance, he said, remember the bread, remember the blood, remember what they symbolize, who they symbolize. And his precious blood had to flow. I love that God instituted this reminder because I'm prone to forget, right? Are you? And this just makes it all the more vivid that uh, this morning we're reminded why we are even here on this planet and what we've been called to do and enabled to do 
in his name. And it's because of the blood that paid the price. This is it. Let's take it together.